I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. The Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant. Hosted by Christopher Rennie and joined by Jordan Williams. Welcome in, Buckeye Nation. This is your host, Christopher Rennie, bringing you another episode of the Buck Off Podcast, now with Land Grant Holy Land. Make sure you're subscribing to the feed. I am here today with Jordan Williams. How are you doing today, Jordan? Uh, I'm doing good. It's It's been a week already, I, and I also can't believe it's already time to record. I feel like it's Wednesday to Wednesday just goes super quick, but you know I'm doing well. How are you? Doing well, doing well. I had like my last three days have been like obscenely busy uh, with uh, work stuff away from the podcast. But, you know, like you said, dude, like it feels like we just recorded, honestly, the last episode. No, I, I, I do. I agree. I wake up and it's like, oh, time to start planning the next one. Oh, time to record. I don't yeah. know where the weeks go. I don't know. It'll always be like. Go. Always be like on like Friday, I'll be like, all right, we got to start playing in the next one. We got to start. And then I'll be like, ah, we can just wait until Monday. Then Monday gets here and then it's Tuesday. I'm like, we're recording tomorrow. (laughs) But yeah, we got a good show today. I think uh, what if week at Land Grant Holy Land has been a lot of fun. Uh, Make sure you guys are checking out all those articles online. We've had quite a bit of fun with that. I, I mean, there's a lot of what ifs in Ohio State history. I'm not the biggest what if guy, but I mean, there's still somewhere I'm like, man, we just need to like, what if that was different? It's, it's a real conversation. I think it's 
like probably the second most popular sports conversation there is besides like random matchups. And I think, I think Jordan's got a really good one today. Yeah. I'm not much of a, what if guy either, especially when you're a fan of like Ohio state and it's like, okay, but like they're going to be good next year. And the year after that, and the year after that. And they're like the only program that's never had a bad season. So, you know, I try not to do what ifs, but I do have one that actually does bother me. And it was, Oh, when this came up, it's literally the first thing uh, that came up. And I was really trying to think of how to word it because it fits so many, it fits so many scenarios. And so the only way I could think to word it that allowed you to kind of have an overarching conversation is what if Urban Meyer could make the hard decisions? And yeah. I'm sure if you're hearing that, you're like, there's a decision that comes up. Like, it doesn't matter what it is. There's like, like and it's not even just like, I, I can think of like three or four immediately where I'm like, if he did that differently, he'd either yeah. still be the coach at Ohio State or we'd have another national championship. I mean, yeah, it's like yeah, you can look at coaching decisions. You can look at coaching hiring and firings, on-field decisions. You can look at off-field decisions. Like my favorite one, you know, one of my my favorite one, I, I absolutely, especially because I played this position in high school, is what if Urban Meyer never hired Bill Davis? Like, come on now, like our linebackers were so bad, and that was or what if or even just more more broad, what if Urban Meyer didn't just hire his friends? I mean, we can all name Zach yeah. Smith. Bill Davis, you know, you didn't fire some of the offensive coordinators fast enough. Like, um, I mean, it just it can go round and round and round. I mean, uh, who was the 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 cornerback hire that he had right after Kerry Coombs left? I'm pretty sure he only lasted a year. He wasn't yeah good. because he got replaced immediately after by Halfley and a few yeah. uh, another guy. Alex Grinch. Uh, Grinch was the DC. He left for Oklahoma to become a. Uh, he was the defensive backs coach, and then he went to Oklahoma to become a defensive coordinator. Yeah. Terrible like, recruiter, terrible defensive backs coach. It was our worst year his, well until last year. And his and he didn't have the COVID excuse. No, I, I st- honestly, I think it was worse than last year because at least we had the COVID and, you know, injuries. Those yeah, defensive and, backs just – that I don't know what he was doing with that defense. It just did not work. Well – and like putting it in perspective, how good Akuda was the next year, how good Arnett was the very next yeah. year when he left, it was like, well, what was this guy doing? And you know, that's like kind of like the tip of the iceberg. It's just that little stuff. And like, I think you're, I think you're onto something with that Bill Davis hire because that's similar to the Zach Smith hire. It's like these hires, you know, where you're not getting the best personnel at Ohio State at. Like, you know, Alabama's making those cutthroat decisions. You know, like, they want the best coaches all the time. They're willing to part ways with coaches. They're willing to take chances on risky hires. And, you know, Ohio State didn't do that with high-level stuff. Like, Zach Smith Mm -hmm. was a risky hire, and I don't even think he warranted the risk at all. Nope. But he was a family friend or something related to Urban Meyer and Earl Bruce's nephew. Earl Bruce's nephew. It's just like so. I mean, I mean, I we could talk about this for like seventeen podcasts, and literally every single one of these what ifs could have its own episode. One of one of my one of the worst what ifs as far as just how it affected the fan bases. What if he, you know, the Michigan State game never happened? And I solely blame that on him because that he, they were running his offense. And I just remember, like, do you remember the play that they loved to run where they would um, where they would move the tight end and then they would leak him out 
and try to like throw him in the flat and we never got it never went anywhere yeah it would always be like a completion for like two yards yeah like he always ran that and we all know Ezekiel Elliott who spoiler alert whenever we get to running backs it's probably going to be my number one running back and I have no shame in saying that yeah I don't think there's honestly any competition there no they didn't run you know what I mean Ezekiel Elliott that's an Urban Meyer decision whether it's him personally as the de facto offensive coordinator, as the head coach, who he hired as the offensive coordinator. I mean, we can go on forever. So my what if, and I would love to, you know, as we as we continue to talk about it, is just what if, what do you think would have happened if one of those decisions was changed or even two of those things happened? Do you think we have another national championship? Do we think we have two more playoffs? I mean, I just saw a stat that kind of blew my mind in seven years, Urban Meyer only won the Big Ten three times. Uh, and I think one of them, we were suspended in 2012, his first year. But, you know, we probably won the Big So, yeah, what yeah. are your thoughts on if one of those decisions or multiple of them had been different? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, so the Bill Davis one, I think everyone can be like, all right, that was serious, like a case of like a personal favor. And when you're in a cutthroat conference and you're at the cutthroat level that Ohio State is, you can't be making decisions based off like personal like relationships just because the guy was like the best man at your wedding or just because the guy's been in your coaching like tree and all that stuff for two decades. It doesn't matter at Ohio state. Now, granted, like I'll give Ryan day a lot of credit here. Yes. He kept his hires close to the vest, but he brought in Greg Madison who, was the exact opposite of what Ryan Day was. He's a 45-year coach. Like People respect his opinion in a room. They needed that elder statesman, especially when you bring in a guy like Halfley, who's very similar to Ryan Day, where he's like 38 years old, uh, top mind in the top young mind in the sport. Like That's what Ryan Day did well. Yes, they were friends per se, you know, but in a way where you're like, this guy's young, he's talented, or this guy's old, he's well-respected. It's like, in the NFL, when Sean McVay was a super young coach, who did he bring as a defense coordinator? Wade Phillips. Ryan Day has done a great job of providing players with what he's not in the other coaches. And what Urban Meyer did was the complete opposite of that. Uh, did Ed Warner and Tim Beck deserve multiple years as the offensive coordinator after Absolutely not. pitiful performances? Did Zach Smith deserve the second chances he got at Florida at, at Ohio State with Urban Meyer? Absolutely, Absolutely not. not. He didn't warrant any of the disasters he created. And on top of that, the worst of them all, and I guess I'm putting that on top of Zach Smith outside of all that stuff. Zach Smith actually wasn't the worst coach. He's just not really the best person depending on how far you believe the stories went regardless the positions he put himself in are forgettable and were not worth the problems that were caused at ohio state with the talent he had uh bill davis like you said i think didn't recruit the position all that well didn't coach the position all that well uh it felt like every single time we took the field the linebackers were the worst position group in the years Bill Davis was there. And that's considering, you know, Tuff Borland, Pete Werner, all those guys were not terrible the following years. Like, right. yes, Tuff was limited athletically, but Halfley got a lot more out of Tuff Borland than those guys, you know. Ever could have dreamed of. Yeah, Al Washington's been significantly better. 
yeah, I remember, I don't remember what game it was. It may have been the Purdue game, or maybe it was the Iowa game. One of those losses, I just remember watching the linebackers and watching them play at, like, three yards. Yeah. And if anyone knows anything about linebackers, like, if anyone's played or even just, like, you know, linebackers stand five to seven. And today's game, a middle linebacker or outside linebacker, depending on, you know, if they're a hybrid or whatever, they may even play at, like, eight or eight and a half. Yeah, they, they, they play a lot deeper now due to the passing game and the RPO yeah. game. But you and, never stand at three. Yeah, and <laughs> I remember I had a big problem with that with Greg Schiano because he really had the talent on the back end to do it, but he didn't have the linebackers who could cover space horizontally well enough to have them that close to the line. And, you know, when you lose a player like Nick Bosa, when you don't have the experience on the interior, it's really hard to have young linebackers with that responsibility that close to the line playing that reactionary. Yeah, I mean, just to, you know, just, you know, if just because I love to talk about the insides out of football, you don't play at three yards because, one, with some of these, especially Big Ten offensive linemen, at three yards, you're almost within arm's length. They just take yeah. a step or two and they can get their hands on you. No matter how good you are, you don't want a six foot four, 320-pound man with his hands on you. That's how they win. That is their job. Also, as you mentioned, the reaction, linebackers have to read and react. They have to see the play. And a linebacker's first step is always forward. If you take your first step forward, now you're at two yards. They definitely have their hands on you. You can't see the entire picture. You know what I mean? So there's so many problems with that. And then with the RPO, with different things like that, I mean, if they're running and they block you, they're immediately on the safety. Or they're just going to throw over your head. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, think about all the big plays that were given up due to that. You know, linebackers getting stuck in a, uh, what's it called? You know, just like the, uh, we used to call it garbage. Like, you know, you kind of get stuck in that, like, in the mosh pit of linemen yeah. and stuff. You can't see the play. The can't running back the makes one cut. He's past all the linebackers. And it's already we- over. He's to the second level. And I remember Anthony McFarlane almost had 300 yards against us. Yeah. And I, I mean, remember, I mean, Rondell Moore, Anthony McFarland, these athletes with explosiveness absolutely obliterated the linebackers. And this is no shade to them because they were great players, but there's no way Anthony McFarland should have had almost 300 yards on this. Yeah. Rondell Moore, fine, but it shouldn't have led to us losing that game. If the yeah, linebackers were where they were supposed to be and doing what they were supposed to do, that would have never happened. And yeah, like granted, uh, both those games are like a lot more problems than just the defense of like the linebackers but i overall i think linebackers traditionally are tone setters absolutely in our defense and when you play with three linebackers uh they have a lot of responsibility uh they don't get like in a three four type stuff they very much get listed into different jobs and roles like you have your edge rusher type linebacker you have your two middle linebackers then you have your third guy who's usually pretty good at covering open space uh in a four three defense regardless of if you're the will mike or sam linebacker you tend to be in the box a high percentage of the time uh that means you have a lot of ground to cover and you have to be able to make decisions in a timely manner so plays don't break off. Uh, when you're at three yards, you don't have that opportunity. And that's why I think the Greg Schiano defense, that's why I think 
the Bill Davis linebackers failed so much was because they treated it like they had Patrick Bowman. They treated it like they had these elite NFL linebackers and it's college football. Like even if you have the best linebacker, you still want to give them the easiest route to be successful. And they made really good linebackers look like they were scrubs. Like yeah. we had really good linebackers. Like as much as we said they didn't recruit that well and they didn't compared to some of the other recruiting that we had, there were still, you know, a young Malik Harrison. There were still, um, yeah, you know, like the um, I mean, multiple we NFL draft picks. Yeah, we just went over linebackers last week, and there's multiple of them, like Jerome Baker and who and um, Raekwon McMillan, who were having very good NFL careers, and they were literally fighting the system. They were, li- and and maybe my years may be off with the, with one or two of those, but they were literally fighting the system to be productive. And the last one that I have, and this is maybe the biggest one, is the quarterback decision. I mean, what if we didn't have to, you know, spend eight games trying to figure out that JT Barrett was better than Cardell Jones? And subsequently, what if we got an extra year of Dwayne Haskins instead of starting senior JT, which I know is not an easy decision. But Alabama did it. And we're playing against the Alabamas. Alabama sat their quarterback for the freshman, and they won a national champion. And I still think Dwayne Haskins, especially that year, would have been better than JT. Yeah. That's two back-to-back quarterback decisions that one of them or both of them cost us a chance at another national title. Yeah, no, I think it's interesting for sure, especially the first point. I think, you know, JT Barrett had, you know, a really great freshman year, then he broke his ankle, then he didn't get a spring. And, you know, there's a lot of debate on if JT Barrett reached his peak really early or if his growth was stunted as a quarterback because the way it was handled his sophomore year and the offensive coordinators he had, you know, because we saw with Tom Herman, uh, guess what? JT Barrett, super successful, and Cardell Jones went on a great three-game run that I don't think a lot of people could have done. Uh, you know, taking a look at that following year, uh, I don't think he was very much set up for success. And then he had the OVI, which threw a wrench into him sort of taking back the starting role because of the suspension. And then his junior year, it felt like Tim Beck and Ed Warner. That, that was just a year where I felt like it was just a pitiful attempt of an offense. It was all Curtis Samuel and JT Barrett runs. That was the offense. And then we saw his senior year a lot of improvement when he got Ryan Day as his offensive coordinator. But I think you're on to something. I think whether it was Joe Burrow, whether it was Dwayne Haskins, uh, whoever ended up starting that year probably could have been a better quarterback than JT Barrett due to the fit in Ryan Day's schemes and what he can do as a vertical passer. Because we all saw JT Barrett. When he was on... Penn State game in the comeback, one of the best quarterbacks in the country. But we didn't see that level enough as a passer. And I think you, I think you said it all. And I, I mean, I think that purpose perfectly showed the what if because it showed the what if of if he hired better people. JT struggled because of the hire the hires that he made with his offensive coordinator and that play call and that design and him struggling to get off of his power run system. Um, 
so that showed that struggle. And then the struggle of play calling and not relying on the running backs, different things like that, going back to his offensive system. And then the what if of if he just made a better quarterback decision. I mean, that one case with that one quarterback, JT Barrett, has a million what ifs that all rely on Urban Meyer's shoulder. And, you know, everyone loves to say his record that he's only lost like five games or whatever the actual number is. Um, but the five losses are major losses. It's it's yeah. Purdue. If it's you Iowa knocking it's Michigan State knocking us out of playoff contention, knocking us out of um, championship contention. If you really look at the losses outside of like, you know, the years where we lost in the playoffs with Urban, uh, so the Clemson year, like, yeah, you know what, Clemson could be a better team, but those losses to Purdue, those losses to Iowa, those should have never happened. No. Like if you're a team and I, this is a conversation you hear a lot, no matter who you talk to, but urban Meyer was always about the philosophical approach as a coach, like over X's and O's. It was about grinding. It was about being better. It was about the chase. Uh, I think Bill Rabinowitz even wrote a book called the chase because that was something that urban Meyer ingrained in his players. And, you know, after the national championship, like, yeah, you know, they completed the chase, but you can't keep playing that. Like no one respects you. No one, yeah. you can't keep doing that. Like obviously people respect you. You're Ohio state. You won a national championship. You're going to get everybody's best punch. And I think when you don't have the best personnel, when you don't have the, when you play a little too much into your favorites on the team, for lack of a better term, you're going to lose games like that because you're not putting the best team out there. Uh, I think he even said it himself. Uh, he's never lost a game where he felt like the more prepared team lost. You know, When a team wins a game, it's because they prepared better. It's because they executed better. It's because they played better. And, you know, Ohio State gets a pass sometimes because guess what? They'll have a play like Benjamin Victor catching a crossing pattern and running 35 yards while like missing like four tackles. Like that's like some stuff you're gifted with at Ohio State. You don't always get lucky. You don't always have those moments. And when you're not willing to make the tough decisions, when you're not willing to go for it on fourth down, when you're not willing to change the quarterback, it's where you lose those games. Yeah, I mean, wasn't it almost wasn't it Indiana that almost beat us two years in a row? Like both games were like fifty, like fifty three to forty eight, and stuff like that. Like Urban Meyer was not a a good big game coach. I'm sorry. Yeah, a bad game coach. He was he was a good he was a great big game big coach. game coach. He was not a good bad game coach. Like he his teams had the tendency to play to the level of the opponent. And I think I can I feel confident in saying that that's not going to happen to Ryan Day. If Ryan Day is going to lose a game, it's going to be a hell of a game and you just have to give props to the team that beat them. I yeah. except that Clemson loss. That's another what if. Um, yeah, and one thing I, I want to go on this is it felt like after Urban Meyer won the first national title, he got a little complacent. I could see uh, that, yeah. Definitely. And I think when you see the hires, when you see him getting his friends in there, I mean, we've all seen the picture of him on the golf cart eating pizza after the Fiesta Bowl. Or, yeah, it was a Fiesta Bowl. No, it was the Orange Bowl. And was that the Clemson loss? Yeah. Okay. He had the box of Papa John's and it was just, it was, it's one of my favorite pictures in sports history. Uh, but 
that's what sparked him to bring in new people. That's it took that type of loss to make him reconsider doing stuff differently. And even then it still led to friends being hired. So I think you're right on with the what if you brought up. I think if Urban Meyer made better decisions, uh, was a little bit more cutthroat, I think Ohio State probably has at least one more national title. Easily. I think we have viewed – because in my opinion, Ohio State has always been better than Clemson. Um, even in the years that we lost, the one thing that Clemson has had is they had Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence, which is, you know, a major, major equalizer, yeah, I mean. especially when we're bringing out JT Barrett. And, like, I want everyone to hear me in this. Like, I'm I'm, I'm an Ohio State fan. I, I love one of the biggest. I love JT. I'm one but, of the biggest JT Barrett fans there is. Yeah. I mean, like I, I mean, JT had everything that you wanted from a leadership standpoint, and there was enough players in the offense to make up for his deficiencies. He was still a, a very high level college Division one quarterback. Like he, it's not that he didn't deserve to be there. Like you um, don't set all the records you set without being super exactly. talented. Exactly. And like you said, it, a lot of it wasn't even entirely on JT. We've already talked about it. The offensive coordinators, the scheme, the wide receiver coach, like all of those things affected, you know, the you know, JT's play and how that went into it. But when you are going up against generational quarterbacks, you have to be better. Yeah. Um, but when your entire team is better for the most part, even if they have the quarterback, you should still be competitive even if you lose. Um, and that's the thing. It's just – you know, Urban Meyer, he made a couple of things. He made – I'm going to say that again. I'm sorry. Yeah, go for it. Uh, and that's, you know, Urban Meyer, he made a couple of decisions. He made a couple of things that would have changed that would have changed the course and even how he's, how he's looked at because I genuinely believe Ohio State had the team and the talent to win two or three rings in his seven years. Um, and to do that, you beat Clemson a year, you beat Alabama a year, whatever. I think we had the teams to do it. Um, I think it's a crime that we only have one ring. Um, I, that everyone points to that 2015 team and expecting to go back to back, but that's not even the team that I look look at. It, it is a shame to me that we didn't win a, win a ring with Jeff Okuda. With I think. Chase, look, Chase, all those players. It's just a the, shame that we didn't win a ring the with two teams, Arnett, all of them. I think that Urban Meyer still was the coach for that I really think probably could have been better. The last JT Barrett year when we lost to Iowa and yeah. Oklahoma, I think 15, that team. 16. Uh, I think that was 16. 17. JT Barrett was 17? Yeah. 17. Dwayne yeah, that was his last year because uh, Dwayne was. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. It was 17 is the year that Dwayne Haskins should have been the starting quarterback. Yeah, I, I think, you know, they don't have that terrible game against Iowa. They make the playoff, and I think they have a legitimate chance to win the national championship. Uh, you lose to Iowa, that's on Urban Meyer. Uh, yep. It is 100%. Uh, it was a letdown after a huge win against Penn State. Uh, to reclaim kind of the superior superiority in the Big Ten East. And then the other team, I think uh, he was no longer the coach for, that I think should have won a national championship, was the 2019 team. 29. Is that the Clemson loss? Yeah, first Justin Fields year. 
Yeah, no, I, I definitely, I think the the 2015 team would have been interesting. I'm not saying that they would have won it, but we at least would have been in the playoffs. so hard to repeat. At, I can't believe we lost in 2017. We definitely should have had that one, 2017. And I genuinely believe in twenty in 2019 we would have won if the refs didn't screw us in that Clemson game. I, yeah. I believe that we were better than Clemson. Um, I believe we played better than Clemson. And that's the worst because I always grew up on that, like, you know, if you play good enough, you never let the refs win the game for you or yeah. lose the game for you. If you play good enough, the refs shouldn't matter. And in most cases, that's true. And that's one of the rare games where I'm just like, they did play good enough. They did everything that they could have done. And they, had a, still, they had a player removed from the game for a very questionable play literally. at Grant. And then they had a touchdown taken away. I, I, and it was he took like six steps. And then even still, we were one freshman mistake away from winning that game because that's how much we were in it. And also, bad linebacker play, if we're being yeah, honest. Because true. that Trevor Lawrence touchdown should have never happened. And I will, I will say it, if we had Al Washington, I don't believe that that play happens. The I think we did have a Washington there. In 2019? I don't think so. Wasn't yeah. 2020 his first year? I thought it was 2019. Because he came with Greg Madison, and we had Madison. Oh. But I'm with you, though. I, I think that it was, was probably... still bad linebacker play. I'll take away the Al Washington thing, because that was still bad linebacker play. And then I... Was the coach. To this but... day, Josh Proctor took the worst angle I've ever seen I'm, on that play. Yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, as you can see by this conversation, uh, there's a lot of what ifs in the Urban Meyer era. Uh, we kind of did the whole what ifs week in 26 minutes, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we should have more national championships. I feel like a lot of fan bases say that, but I think that's like a legitimate claim with Ohio State. Um, we talked about it last week. I think uh, with how Ohio State's recruiting right now, uh, I think we're two years away from, we talked about it with the 2021 expectations from here on out. I think uh, if they don't have multiple national championships, we're going to have the same. What if questions five years from now? Definitely. I'll Ten especially, years from now. Especially five years from now. I'm, I'll, I'll save this. I'll, I'll save more in depth when we get into actually predicting the season and stuff. But yeah, honestly, I don't see why we can't win it this year. Every, I think this year the team is breaking in a new quarterback. We're all on the same level. I think this is probably the year where I legitimately could see like seven or eight teams winning it and not be surprised. Yeah, I won't go that far. I don't. I don't believe there's ever seven or eight teams that can win it. But I'll give you a good four. Yeah, I mean and a half. Right now in the off season, on paper, I think there's seven to eight. But once we see those paper teams play, that always changes. And there's usually one, two, or three teams that could win it. Yeah, I'm going to give you four. Now, thank you guys for listening, but we got to take a short break. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 
Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome back from the break, everybody. We're excited to have you here today. Listen to us on Buck Off. Uh, so we told you guys last week we were going to talk a lot about NIL. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about it, actually, uh, this week. Uh, it's one segment, though. Uh, we're going to talk about the Terrell Pryor statement. And, uh, Jordan, you had an opportunity to read through that, right? Actually, I did not. Uh, well, I, I'll, I could read through the important parts here. Uh, so the first paragraph pretty much says it all. Uh, the affirmation of NCAA athletes right to make a living from their name, image, and likeness is a huge step in the right direction. Armed with correct resources and support, we know they'll show what we felt to be true all along. Not letting athletes capitalize on what ultimately is their hard work was unjust and unnecessary. Uh, They go on to talk about how that fundamental right has been approved finally and how they want their records and awards retroactively accepted and reinstated. So I, I think we're we're very much on the same page here. Uh, I think uh, the NCAA was very much wrong for a very long time on the name, image, and likeness stuff. Uh, but I, I think the real question here is, how do you feel about the retroactively reinstating records? Before I touch on that, can I just say the Tattoo 5 is the worst name I've ever heard of in my life? Yeah, like, I, who, who's ever called them that? Like, I feel like they just named that. Like, they just named it. Feels like that. it feels like a new nickname. I've never heard of that. I, I feel I literally feel like they created that nickname in this article, this little like thing that they gave to like group themselves together, and then the media just ran with it because that's what they said. I it, it's absolutely terrible. Um, <laughs> but to answer your actual question, honestly, I. I don't care. Honestly, I don't. The thing that I care about is getting Reggie Bush's Heisman because he should have never lost his Heisman, um, especially because that's not an NCAA decision. That's a Heisman trust decision. Yeah, and that just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, I was actually listening to a national podcast, and one of the things that they said is like, O.J. Simpson still has his Heisman. You know, there are people who legit who literally sold their Heisman trophies, and they never got in any trouble. Like, the Heisman trust did nothing about that. Um, yeah, but Reggie Bush lost his Heisman. So yeah, um, I think my take on the retroactively reinstating uh, stats and stuff is, regardless of how the NCAA looks at them, though we all know what happened. We all know the team went twelve and one. Uh, what yeah. I think though is, when you look at history, when you look at the serious offenders during the time the SMUs uh, any team that's been hit with any sort of level of death penalty in sports. uh, I do think the rules were very much in place and that retroactively reinstating records that were lost due to that. Cause regardless of how you feel it impacts on the field play SMU paying players to come to SMU 
is legitimately creating an unequal playing field because no one else can pay their players legally. So when you take it into that account, would SMU have landed Eric Dickerson? Would they have landed the level of players they were getting at a small Methodist university in Dallas, Texas? My answer is no. Uh, Do I think Tattoo Gate or whatever the coin, the fun name they try to give this story is the same thing as that? No, absolutely not. I don't think that is the same thing because the difference is with memorabilia is it's yours. If I wanted to give this Apple Watch to someone in exchange for money, in exchange for, uh, I'm allowed to do it. I think that's just basic that's just basic trait. And uh, I don't think, I think they were right. I don't know. The thing is with reinstating it though, is it was blatantly against the rules at the time. Right. So yes, I think there's probably some middle ground we can have. What I do want to see is Jim Trestle back in the horseshoe. I want to see Terrell Pryor appreciated by Buckeye fans again. I want to see Dan Heron, who was one of my favorite running backs growing up back in the horseshoe because they do deserve to be appreciated, to be respected because the reality of it is they didn't do anything wrong from basic human standpoint. It was just against some arbitrary rules. Yeah, I agree. And actually all I do is listen to podcasts and Ari Wasserman made, you know, that similar point in that he wants to see them in the building um, again and kind of respected and stuff like that. The one thing that I would say, and this is interesting and take it with a grain of salt, I didn't do this research myself, um, but Stu Mandela, Bruce Feldman on their podcast, The Audible, they mentioned that even in today's NIL rule, what they did would still be against the rules um, because they were selling team memorabilia. And the one thing that I can say um, is, you know, I worked, I'm not sure if you had any of these conversations when you played football, but when I was when I was with Kent State's football team and I was working and things like that, one of the things that they told us is, you know, as the staff and they told the players is you can't get rid of, you know, this stuff. Like, you don't, like, if you get rid of it, you essentially have to throw it away, which unfortunately is kind of a waste of money. And I just had to do that with some of my older stuff because it has the Kent State branding. It has, and so when people see that, you know, and what, just an example, if I give my shirt to the Goodwill and it has Kent State football, someone picks it up and go robs a bank. Now on national TV, they see Kent State football and a crime. And so... I think that's one thing where it's like, it's kind of different. It's like, yes, it's their stuff, but it still, in a sense, represents the university. Yeah. And and, and it's very specific things. It, it, it's their gold pants and stuff like that. So I don't entirely agree with that. Like, it's like harmless. Uh, well, I mean, it's still technically harmless, but that's but, like an antitrust yeah. like, law copyright thing that all universities have. So whatever. Um, I agree 100% the way that they're looked at as people and the way that they're treated and, and and the fact that they're not around Ohio state, that's criminal. That should have never happened. And it shouldn't have taken this to bring them back in. I mean, Jim Trussell built everything we have today. It's like, thanks to him that we're where we are with Ryan day. Like if we're being honest about it, I agree 100%. So like really like Jim Trussell not being in this shoe, like legitimately makes me sad. Like, the fact that until this, these laws were changed, like that he was never going to be invited back. Like, like you said, it's, it's absolutely criminal. 
And that just doesn't, it was, it was never that serious. Like, especially when you, you start to see some of the other things that are going on and like, he lied to protect 